You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. Take your Bible and turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. Second Kings chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to read. How many of you are grateful for the Bible? <clears throat> Second Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, these are Gentiles, was a great man with his master and honorable because... By him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. Not much wrong with him. He just had leprosy. (laughs) Mighty man, valor, honorable, leper. It's like that blind date. He looks good on the outside, but you sit with him about two weeks or two minutes and you realize he's an ogre (laughs) in disguise. Verse 2, and the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife, and she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, Naaman, were with the prophet Elisha that is in Samaria, that's that's northern Israel, for he would recover him of his leprosy. (laughs) She's just talking about what she knows. She's had some kind of experience. She's heard stories. She just knows that this Elisha is a powerful man. Elijah was a powerful man as well. There are something like seven miracles noted and credited to his uh, you know, for his resume, Elijah. But Elisha had twice as many, something like 14 or 15 miracles to his credit. See? So, and he was the, he was the son in faith, if you will, of Elijah. That's where it really should be happening. The body of Christ should be increasing with every generation. We should be getting stronger with every generation. Along about 1900, a great revival started in a place called uh, Los Angeles, California, on a street called Azusa. There was a great revival that took place there, and that revival has basically been going on for over 100 years. 1907 is about when it started, and it's been going on for nearly, for just over 100 years, and the power of that revival doesn't seem to be slowing down. All five, eight, something like that of the world's largest churches, all are spirit-filled churches born out of that revival. The only part of Christianity that is aggressively growing is that part that is spirit-filled and speaks in other tongues and all the gifts of the Spirit flowing like this church. Did you know that? All other wings of Christianity are dying. Good riddance. The, 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 the part that's still growing is the part that's vibrant and alive and believes in the power of God. Amen. She believed in the power of God and talked about this, this man of God that was in Israel. And it seems like to me that sometimes the most unlikely people have the most important things to say. She was a little slave girl. Have you ever been talking to anybody that you didn't expect to come out with something awesome and just in the middle of an inane conversation, out this awesome nugget comes? I've had that happen with my children. 
My children would say the most empower, powerful things. One time I was on the freeway, and I was, I was driving fast because this truck in front of me was driving fast. So I was behind the truck, and he was really breaking the speed limit. But you know what it's like. Your, your gas mileage goes to about 75 miles a gallon when you get behind a big truck, and I was just letting him pull me. I said, wow, we're running over 80 miles an hour. That's back when the speed limit was 70 uh, on, on the interstate. And uh, I don't, we were running 80, something like that. Just, boy, mom, look at this, man. This is awesome. My daughter in the back seat said, Daddy, she's about seven, Daddy, are you breaking the law if the police don't see you? I said, no, shut up. <laughs> well, you are, yeah. Yeah, you are. I mean, you get powerful thoughts from people you don't expect to think deep. So I slowed down, just so you know. Verse 4, And one went in and told, the Lord, told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold. This is just this is millions of dollars. And ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayst recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Why? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, saying to his counselors, and see how he seeks a quarrel against me. Now, here's the king of Israel who should know better. Jehoram is his name. Jehoram is a bonehead. And the first thing he thinks about, he's got this huge problem now that he can't figure out. And the first thing he thinks about is trying to find some political way around it. Men look for political answers to spiritual problems. You know this, don't you? Men constantly look for political answers to, to spiritual problems. It's what's wrong with our government in America. May I just speak to you for a minute or two? I don't care whether you agree with me or not. I'm going to say it. The problem with, with our government is we keep throwing money at things, money that we don't really have that we just print up and we throw money at. But we see poverty, so we throw money at it, and it makes it worse. It doesn't help it. People are in poverty because poverty because they don't know how to stay out of poverty, not because they're in poverty, because they don't know how to stay out. It doesn't matter how much money you give some people. They're just going to blow through it, and they're going to be right back where they were because they have no idea. The problem is not poverty. The problem is poverty thinking. And you can't throw money at somebody who, who thinks poverty, who thinks broke, who thinks that way. You cannot throw money at it and fix that problem. It has to be a change the way you think. The Bible calls it repentance. Changing the way you think, metanoia, change, think, change thoughts, repentance. Every time in the New Testament when you see the word repentance, it comes from the Greek word metanoia, to change the way you think. It has nothing to do with feeling sorry. It has nothing to do with being brokenhearted. It has nothing to do with weeping. It has, and it has nothing to do with changing your, your, your actions. I hear preachers mis, misquote that constantly. It means to change the way you think. Because if you can just change the way you think, you can change everything about your life. Glory to God. Just change the way you think. You can change everything about your, way, about your life. But you can't possibly do that until you get a change of heart. And that does not come by repentance. That comes by faith. 
by what you believe. When you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that he died for your sins, when you identify with Jesus by faith, glory to God, amen. When you identify with Jesus and say that blood that he shed was enough for me, it made me a new man, glory to God. Then you can start thinking different. Then the message of repentance will work for you, praise God. You see, and it'll start changing everything. You won't, you won't lean on the government, but here's, here's a high-powered king, and the first thought of his mind is, well, let's, let's find out why he's mad at it. He's trying to pick a fight with me. Let's send out our counselors. Let's, let's do whatever we can do. Let's just throw some money at it. Let's get some political savvy going here. Let's go on television. I get so tired of that. I get so tired of that. Yesterday, I was in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Y'all, y'all know about that place? The land of Oral Roberts. That's where I was. I was on the campus of Oral Roberts University, and we uh, had a graduation. Dr. Lindsay, who, uh, who has a, a doctorate, but he, he wanted a Ph.D. doctorate, and uh, he uh, finished his dissertation finally and um, went uh, through Oral Roberts University and walked across the stage yesterday and received his doctoral degree. He and his daughter, his daughter had received a, a doctoral degree in leadership. And a friend of ours, y'all know John Rogers, John Rogers who used to come here quite a bit. John Rogers' daughter, uh, Jennifer, finished her nursing degree yesterday, and now she's a, an RN. And uh, that was pretty cool, too, to get to be there for all of that. I didn't even realize Jennifer was, re, uh, was uh, marching yesterday, was graduating. But lo and behold, I opened the the program up, and look who the speaker is, Michelle Bachman. You know Michelle Bachman from Minnesota? Was she a senator or House of Representatives? A representative? Whatever she was. She's good, real good. Come to find out, she is an ORU graduate. Yep. Now that tells you why she's like she is. You say, well, she's a bit too conservative for me. No, she just reads her Bible. This woman stood up there and preached the gospel of Christ like better than some preachers I've heard. She knows her purpose in life is to glorify Jesus Christ, to win as many people to the Lord as possible. It was amazing. I thought, oh, God, give us more people like this who understand what the real problems with America are. The real problems with America are not political. Real problems with America are not financial. The real problems with America are spiritual problems. When we, get, when we get our spiritual problems fixed, things are going to get better. No government can throw enough money at poverty to end poverty. Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. I, and I, I, you need to just take that seriously. The reason you'll always have the poor with you is because some people don't know how not to be poor. We've got to help them in another way. You've got to help them in another way. You can't throw money at them. You help them in another way. Now, if they're starving, sure, you throw money at them to keep them alive. Of course, of course. We help those who are starving, those who are in dire straits. But I'm just saying, throwing money at every little problem just ruins a society. It makes us all a bunch of money-grubbing, money-lovers, and we'll vote for the guy who promises to give us money. How sinister and ugly is that? You understand? It doesn't fix any problems. It never fixes any problems. It never will because it doesn't get to the heart of the... It, all it deals with is symptoms. We have to get at our spiritual problems. I was uh, thinking about a joke I heard this week. Somebody said three branches of the, of the police force got in a squabble. There was the, uh, the CIA and the FBI and the Los Angeles Police Department. Los Angeles Police Department is kind of notorious, you know, for certain things. And 
So the, so the president stepped in, decided he's going to figure out how to, how to settle the squabble, who, who was best, best prepared for, you know, homeland security. And he, so he took a, a rabbit out into the woods and turned it loose. The CIA went in first. They planted animal informants every place. Two weeks questioning. Two weeks, no answers. Finally, they deduced and turned in the report, rabbits don't exist. Next group to go in was the FBI. The FBI went in, and they, they searched and searched for two weeks and found nothing. So they burned down the whole forest, killed all the animals and the rabbit, and made no apologies. The rabbit had it coming. <laughs> Next was the Los Angeles Police Department. They went in there. About 15 minutes later, came back out dragging a badly beaten bear. And the bear was saying, okay, okay, I'm a rabbit, I'm a rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, things like that don't fix anything. But that is how, that's how men think. What can we do to make this work? God has a whole different idea. Look at verse 8. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Thank God when a man of God stands up and says what God's thinking. God does have an answer for every problem. I need you to think about this, and I want you to look at me just for a minute. God has an answer to your problem. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Let's see if this side to get it. God has an answer to your problem. Whatever your problem is, God has an answer. He had an answer before you had a problem. Amen. Well, you don't know what I've been through. I'm, way, I'm just not like everybody else. Yes, you are. You're just like everybody else. We've all had the same kind of nut, uh, nutty stuff going on in our life. And there is a God who has an answer for your problem. Amen. I have a friend, a Baptist preacher, one of the finest men I've ever met. Y'all know I kind of pick at the Baptist a little bit, but it's not, it's not for disrespect or dis, dis, disloyalty or the fact that I don't love them because I really do. And I especially love this, this Baptist pastor. <laughs> he came to me one day, and he said to me, Brother John, I need to talk to you. I said, okay, what do you want to talk about? He was in my office. He said, can I tell you why we Baptists don't speak in tongues? Uh, yeah, I guess you can. Sit down there. So he sat down across the ta desk from me. We sat down. And I'm not going to go into detail on all this because I honor this man, love him. But he said, do you have your Bible? I said, yeah, I have my Bible right here. Pull my Bible up. Now, he had no idea how deeply I have studied. I developed a college course called the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I teach it now. I teach it now. I do a special exegesis, line by line, Greek word by Greek word, through 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I know what it says. Do I know what it says? I, he said, he said, let's take, take your Bible and open to 1 Corinthians 14. I said, what? <laughs> I, I, I can't hardly believe my eyes. What? 1 Corinthians 14. Okay. 
He's going to teach me from 1 Corinthians 14 why they don't speak in tongues. So we're looking at it. He reads, and I read. He reads, and I read. He said, now this means this. I said, are you sure? Yeah, that means that. Okay, that means that. We get two verses down there, and he changed the rules. He said, now this means this. I said, no, wait a minute. It can't mean that if that means that. He said, oh, well, you're right. Huh. Well, let's read on. Okay, read on. We read on. He says, you see, this, this, this means this. I said, not if that means that, and that means that. This has to mean that too, which is the opposite of what you're saying. Oh, well, let's read on. We read on, and about five times, I stop him and make him realize what it's really saying. And finally, he closed the Bible. He said, I'm going to have to rethink all that. <laughs> yeah, you might. I mean, it's, uh, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 14 to tell us why we don't? That's going to be tough. That's going to that's be tough. That's like trying to convince a rattlesnake why we don't bite. Just the wrong. Anyway, but I'm going to tell you this. He's such a decent, good man. Two weeks later, he came back to my office, sitting in his pickup truck. He came in and, and told, sec told my secretary, he said, would you have Pastor John come out and see me? She said, sure. So he goes back out to his truck, and, I, and my secretary says, Brother so-and-so's out there. I'd like you to come out and sit in the truck with him. Oh, okay. So I went out and sat in the truck with him. And we're sitting there, and he says, what do you know about demons? <laughs> you ask the oddest questions. What? Could I tell you why we don't speak in tongues? And now, what do you know about demons? Instantly, it opened him up. What do you know about demons? I know a lot about demons. I don't like them very much. He said, I didn't think you did. How, do you know how, to, you know how to get rid of them? I said, yeah, what do you got? He said, I have somebody in my church I think has demons. Okay, what have you done so far? He said, well... They came for counseling, and nothing's working. You can't convince the devil just to go away? <laughs> he said, no. Hmm. So what you're trying to tell me is, I was real nice with him. I said, but what you're trying to tell me is, even though you believe in cessation of miracles, you can't get the devil to go along with that. We still have the need to cast out devils. He said, well, that's why I'm here, John. Don't grind it in. Oh, okay. <laughs> I said, well, here's what you do. He asked, said, tell me what to do. I just need to know what to do. I said, you, you command the thing to come out of him in Jesus' name. You use Jesus' name like a hammer and a hacksaw and a, and a gun, whatever it takes to get rid of that devil. You say, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of him. He says, not a him, it's a her. I said, well... That may be harder, but uh, no, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I'm just kidding. So, uh, I didn't say that. I hear women laughing. It's okay. Pastor. Yeah, I, I, said, I said, there's no, but he said, brother, that, that, this stuff kind of, kind of terrifies me. I said, it terrifies me too. He said, well, how do you do it if it's terrifying you? I said, you just say, in the name of Jesus, don't ever let the devil see you sweat because he doesn't know what you're thinking. Don't get the idea. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. The, 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 the evil spirits out there that are in this world, and there are, there are millions of them, they do not know what you're thinking. They are not God. Only God has that ability. The devil only knows what he hears you say. 
Mm, that's all he knows, what he hears you say. Glory to God. So just when you're, when you're terrified, you say things that makes it seem like you're not terrified. Amen. Use the name of Jesus with authority. Amen. Verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Go wash in the muddy murky waters of the Jordan River, and you'll be clean. In reality, you'll be dirtier than you were when you went in. But you'll be clean of your leprosy. This doesn't seem to make sense. And see, you understand that Naaman, Naaman was like that as well, because he'd been politicized by his own boss. But Naaman was wroth. He was so angry. And went away and said, Behold, I thought he will, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. You know his big problem was? What he thought. I thought, but, but, but I thought, I, I thought. You can almost hear Eve saying, Well, I thought it would be a good idea. Yeah. You take a bite. I mean, I looked at it this time. When I, I looked at it before, and when I, listened, when I was believing what God said, I looked at the tree, and it looked awful. It looked like poison when I was believing what God said, when I was in faith. But I started believing the devil, and I found out, this ain't that bad. It's actually pretty good. It'll make you wise. And now you can think for yourself. You can think. I thought. That's where most of the time it goes wrong for you. Hmm? My pastor used to call it stinking thinking. Stinking thinking. Boy, I've done a lot of that. I'd just be thinking away and start smelling something bad. It was me. I thought, surely. He, listen, God said that his ways are not your ways and his thoughts are not your thoughts. He, his ways are so much higher. Look, look what, look what. Uh, Naaman says, Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Folks often put their own expectations on what they think the Lord should do and how he should do it. You ever done that? Put your own expectations on what you thought the Lord should do and how he should do it. It's never a successful moment with God when you begin to think your way into how he should act. That's not going to be a successful moment for you. We're not called to just think about God. We're called to believe God. Faith changes everything. Verse 13. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, would you not have done it? That's a sweet thing right there. Thank God for people that love you, you know. My father, if the prophet said for you to do some big thing, wouldn't you have done that? How much rather than when he says, wash and be clean. Wash and be clean. Thank the Lord for the people who love you enough to tell you the truth. Thank the Lord for the people who love you enough to tell you the truth. Amen. 
Your children may not like you telling them the truth today, but when they're grown, they'll rise and call you blessed because they'll thank, thank God for the day that they were given to you because you tell them the truth. Amen. Amen. I was always strong with my boys. It was a little harder with my daughter. How many of you guys raised boys and then a girl afterward? Let me see, you, see your hands. Did you find the girl harder? I found it harder. I found her impossible at times. I raised boys first. They almost raised themselves. Just throw meat in the room once in a while, some raw meat, you know. Throw a football and a basketball in there and shut the door. I mean, they're just pretty easy to raise. But I didn't take any lip off my kids ever, ever. Never let them talk back. Never, ever. Real strong with them. And when it's time to play, we played. I played with my boys. I wrestled with them. We fought, and, you know, in a good way and played football together. I was young, you know. I was just a few years older than them. And we, we played. We, we, I, was, I was very athletic and played a lot with my kids. They loved me for that. And I loved their music. They loved my music. We didn't have any generation gap. It was just, just great. They all, all their kids wanted to come over and listen because I'm a rock and roller. I love rock and roll guitar. You may not like that, but show me a verse and we'll, we'll agree. Hey, man, man, like me some guitar music. And I don't like the message of rock and roll always. I don't misunderstand, but I'm just saying it's not of the devil. Honky-tonk music might be, but <laughs> just saying. If you're always wanting to get drunk, swap wives, I mean, that's kind of bad, isn't it? I read that part in the Bible. It, 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 that's bad. <laughs> so we had, had great interest, you know, in the same music and, and, and all that. But... I was, I was a pretty strong disciplinarian. I remember one day my boys came over. My daughter, they came to get her. She was like 16. They came to get her to take her out for the evening. They were going to meet some other friends. They were going to do a group thing, you know. My daughter was 16 and gorgeous. And she came down the stairs. And she had a skirt on. It was okay, but I thought it was just a little bit short. And she had not cleaned her room. She comes down, so now I've got two things. If it had just been one thing, I might have just let it slide. But it was two things. And I remember saying, no, you're not going out looking like that. I need you to go back. No, Dad, this is all right. Mama said it's all right. Mama was with me when I bought it. Jennifer, you go back upstairs. She's standing on the landing. So you go back upstairs and change that skirt. Dad, no. No. My boys are standing at the front door. Standing at the front door, listening to this whole thing. They're like, 19, 20, she's 16, something like that. Dad, no, we're having this argument. It's fuss. I'm sitting in my easy chair talking to her. I said, besides, did you clean that room? Well, no, yeah, it's good enough. I said, no, good enough is never good enough. I know what that means. You didn't do it. Go back up there and clean that room. No, Dad, the boys are waiting on me, and they're, we got friends. And she just went on and on. <laughs> Finally, I won. She went upstairs crying. Upstairs, and I can just hear her throwing stuff around. Bang, bang, up in her room, you know, clanging around. She comes down, back down with a better skirt on. She won't even hardly say bye to me. But before she came down, my boys are sitting there. After she finally went up, my boys, you know, she went back up to do her stuff. 
my boys looked at me and said, I said, what's the matter? They're just staring at me. I said, what's the matter? They said, who are you and what have you done with our dad? <laughs> what are you talking about? Daddy, you let her talk back to you that way. If we, you'd still be killing us if we ever talked back to you that way. You'd still be working on us. And I just said, I know, I just started, I know, it's two against one here all the time now that you left. You left me here with two, I'm outnumbered, I don't. I begged them to move back in, but they wouldn't do it. I just found girls hard. I just found that one hard anyway. But you know, her mama didn't find her hard to raise. Her mama just took up the slack. So I let that happen. She's serving the Lord today just like my boys are. You understand? Serving the Lord today in full-time ministry, just serving God. But I, but I thank the Lord for my own parents who were willing to tell me the truth. I thank the Lord for pastors. One time I stood up in front of my youth group, and my pastor was there. Israel, listen to this. You need to... I stood up there. And my pastor was there. We had, our, we had our, our youth meetings in the auditorium because we didn't have a youth room, so we, we did it early. We came like at 6 o'clock on Sunday evening, had our youth meeting, and then the pastor, and the pastor showed up. And I'm up there trying to do what I do. This is before I'd gone to college or anything. I was young and just had come to the Lord. And I said to the pastor, well, you know, I, uh, I didn't really study for anything this week. I, I just, you know, just didn't have time. I was working a full-time job, and I said, I just, I, I'm really not prepared. I, my pastor just said over and he said, Paul said be instant in season and out of season. Oh, Jesus. I kind of need something right now. <laughs> right now, if you've ever come through, I need something right now. I started praying under my breath, you know, and all of a sudden I got a thought, and I started preaching. But I thank God that he said that because that was the last time I ever showed up in church unprepared, even if I wasn't preaching. I, just, I came ready just in case they called on me. I'm serious. I walk around ready all the time now. Amen. So, Israel, I may show up over there and check you out one of these. No, Israel's always ready. Amen. Thank the Lord for people who love you enough to tell you the truth. Would you not have done it? If he had asked you something hard to do, look at verse 14. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. I want you to know something about this. God has in mind complete restoration. He did not, he did not get the flesh of a man. He got the flesh of a child. Amen. Completely clean. Complete and total restoration is what God has in mind. I mean, we get satisfied with mediocre. Well, that's good enough. But God is never satisfied with just good enough. God wants to fully and completely restore you. Whatever has been stolen from you, he wants to bring it back to you in abundance. Praise God. He wants to show the devil how great a God he is in your life. Amen. All the promises of God in him are yes and amen. People just get, people get used to it. I mean, you just get used to people just doing everything halfway. If you're a supervisor or you own your own business, you know what I'm talking about. When they say it's good enough, you know that it's not good enough. It's good enough for them, but it's not really good enough. Like the guy who took his car to the mechanic, went back to pick it up, and the mechanic said, I couldn't fix your brakes, so I made your horn louder. 
that going to help you at all? Is that really going to help you at all? And I don't think so. Verse 15, and he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. His idea was to give him money. Can I say to you, there was nothing bad about what Naaman did. I think the first response of a changed heart is to be generous. I think the first response of a changed heart is to be generous. Remember Nicodemus, a wee little man up in the tree, what he said when he first came to faith in Christ? He said, look, I'm going to give back everything I've stolen. I've, I've treated people wrong. I'm going to give them back double. The first response of a, of a changed heart is to be generous. It's a powerful thought when you think about it. Abraham was made righteous and immediately sacrificed sacrifices to God. Jacob had this great change experience, and he woke up and he said, I'm going to start tithing. You know, it was just his response. It's just the response of a changed heart to say, well, even money that I labor my, pour my life out for, that doesn't mean as much to me as this experience with God. If you've never been sick, I mean, if you've ever been sick, you know how precious your health is. You've ever had any, any, the Lord ever do anything wonderful for you? You know how, how precious that experience is, right? You know how precious it is. You felt terrible, and all of a sudden you're feeling good. You want to go kiss the doctor or the pharmacist or, or, the, or the one that laid hands on you. You want to do whatever you can to bless those who helped you feel better. This is Naaman. He just says, ma'am, what can I do for you? I'm a new man. I got baby skin on me. Praise God. Verse 16, but he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing, none. And he urged him, he, that is, Naaman urged Elisha to take it, but Elisha refused. I'm wondering why the man of God refused this gift. Men of God all through the scriptures took gifts. They accepted the gifts. In fact, he accepted a gift from the, from the woman who, you know, who built the, the, the room on the side of her house, just in chapter 4 here. He accepted that gift. He accepted her blessing. Why would he not accept this gift? I think there's a reason, and it's here in this passage. Verse 17. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules, burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. Listen to what he says here. I'm going to serve your God, Elisha. I will offer no more sacrifices to any other God but to the Lord. And verse 18, in this thing the Lord pardoned thy servant. Now he's starting another subject. In this thing the Lord pardoned thy servant, meaning him, Naaman, that when my master, the king of Syria, goes into the house of Rimon, the false god, to worship there, that he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. What? This guy's newly come to faith in God, the God of Israel. But he knows he is going to commit errors to come. So he is asking for forgiveness in advance. 
Don't look so religious. You've done it too. Lord, forgive me for what I'm about to do. He is asking for forgiveness in advance. To which the prophet says, What, have you lost your mind? You can't ask for forgiveness and then go sin, you idiot. No, 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 that's not what the prophet said at all. That's not what the prophet said at all. Verse 19, And he, Elisha, said unto him, Naaman, What? Go in peace. Go in peace. Can I say to you, the gospel of peace provided forgiveness for you before one sin was ever committed. The gospel of peace provides, provides the remedy for sin before you've ever sinned. I know what that sounds like, and it's supposed to sound that way. Well, then shall we just sin that grace may abound? That's exactly what the Apostle Paul knew you would say. But unless you ask that question, I haven't preached right. I haven't said it right until you ask that question. Because you don't know what grace is until it feels like it's gone too far. You don't know what forgiveness is, the forgiveness of the Word of God. You don't know how the powerful the blood of Jesus is until it feels like it's gone too far. The Apostle Paul pushed the limits on it, knowing that that's what people would say. But here, here, we find it in the Old Testament. A snapshot of what was coming. Remember what the gospel is called? When he said go in peace. It's a foreshadow of what Paul taught us about what the gospel really was. The gospel of peace. The gospel of peace with God. I want to turn to a few New Testament scriptures and I'm going to let you go. Romans chapter 4 and verse 6. Romans 4, 6 says... Even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That can only mean one thing. That can only mean one thing. It's not saying, Blessed is the man who does not commit sin, so the Lord will have nothing to impute against him. That's not what it says. It said, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not take note of the sin he's committed and not impute it to him. This is what Naaman prayed thousands of years before the gospel had ever been preached, before Jesus had ever died. This is what Naaman believed, what he prayed for. God help me. God helping me. And that was before Jesus had paid the price, before anything had ever been done to, to win us back to God. Only we see it happening in the Spirit here. Look at verse 7, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Does this righteousness, this blessedness rather, uh, come upon the circumcision only, that is the Jew only, or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned when he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. That is, Abraham was just like us when he received his, his reconciliation. And did we say that Naaman was a Jew or a Gentile? Naaman was a Gentile. And that whole story is trying to tell us something, something very powerful. That there is a God in heaven who knows where you are, who knows who you are. These things that I'm teaching you today, these things I'm talking to you about today, they don't make you want to run out and sin, do they? How many of you, because you heard what I I said, say, man alive, I'm going to run out there and just sin, sin, sin. No, what it makes you do is makes you love God more. 
makes you say, I want to live for the Lord. I don't, have a, I don't have a sword of Damocles hanging over me. I don't have some sort of terrible thing hanging over me. I've got a God that loves me and cares about me. I'm in his family. He's not just my God. Now he's my father. He's my father, and I love him. He loves me. Glory to God. I can do this because I'm living by grace. Amen. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not trying to please him anymore. Jesus pleased him plenty. All I have to do is believe him. Amen. And without faith, it's impossible to, to please him. And if I'll just believe him, I'll please him enough. Amen. Glory to God. That my sins are taken care of. And that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father mediating for you right now. Romans chapter 10. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Amen. Go in peace. Go in peace today. Let's bow our heads together. Now, Father, you are good and you do good. You took an old Syrian leper and changed his whole life, not because he was good enough, but because the gospel of peace had been preached to him. I thank you today, Lord, that as he dipped himself in the water, we have someone here going to dip herself in the water. Amen. Amen. And a cleansing and a power is going to come. And the old man will be washed away. She'll rise in newness of life. And old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. Thank you for this day. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts right now. I want to ask you to bow your heads just for a minute. Who in this room will say, Preacher, I don't know what you're talking about. I'd really like to have it, though. I'd like to know this forgiveness of sins. I'd like to be experiencing this. I heard you preach the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is a, this is a simple story. That if you believe it, you can have it. Is that you today? Say, that's me. I need prayer for that. I need to know Jesus is my personal Savior. I need to come into this family of faith. If that's you, just raise a hand. I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. God is good. He loves you. He'll take you just like you are. I know you've done bad things, but he didn't even see it. The blood of Jesus covers it all. And the moment, the moment you will believe on Jesus, it'll be a, a reality for you. But you must believe it. You must believe it. Receive it. It changes everything then. Amen.